Welcome to BDO To Go, casual industry conversation brought to you by the restaurant industry professionals at BDO. The constantly evolving landscape of the industry forces operators and owners to adapt quickly and maintain a keen awareness of consumer and economic shifts. Understanding these business impacts and insights is key to the continued success and resilience of the restaurant industry. That's why we crafted our new BDO To Go podcast series, a monthly podcast that you can take to go. Now, here's your host, Jeff Tuba. Good day, and welcome to the inaugural episode of BDO's To Go Restaurant Podcast. My name is Jeff Tubaugh, and I'm a partner in our Columbus office. I'm one of a dozen professionals who leads our restaurant practice nationally for the firm. Our podcast is designed for you. We will share information about industry challenges, provide insights from BDO and our guests, and keep our listeners in the know on pertinent topics within the industry. BDO To Go Restaurant Podcast will be produced every month and will cover a multitude of industry issues featuring a variety of guests. Join me as your host as we are joined by various moderators and guests on each episode. For our inaugural podcast, I've asked Carl Howard, the CEO of Fazoli's, to join us today. I've known Carl for about 15 years, and I've enjoyed watching his career at Fazoli's and the company take off since he's been there. Carl, thank you for being here this morning. My pleasure, Jeff. Thanks for having us. So, Carl, you started at Fazoli's as a CEO in 2008, so it's been 12 years. Can you take us back to when you arrived at Fazoli's and walk us through where the brand was at the time and then help us understand what bold steps were taken at the beginning of your time there to really bring the brand to where it is today? Sure. Well, when I first arrived with the brand, you know, it was highly fractured. Uh, We were seeing double-digit sales and traffic declines, franchisees closing, and just a lack of optimism among our office and team members. And, you know, there was a lot of work that needed to be done. And, you know, really, I spent probably the first 30 days just understanding and learning the brand. And then the next 60 days formulating a plan. And, you know, there's certainly some items that we had to address immediately. And first and foremost was, you know, the bold step we made is we we radically started to change our menu and how we produced our products. Uh, This was a concept that was trying to compete with QSR brands and 45 second ticket times and making their food in advance and the food quality was very low. And I, you know, put a stop to all that. We went back to making all of our recipes from scratch, all of our items to order. That was really the first big move that I made along with really uh, upgrading the senior executive team and bringing in a group of great leaders. You know, I remember you telling me early on when you got hired, I have to fix the pizza. Like I just, I remember that phrase coming from you along with, again, like you said, all the different food items. Uh, we went to Fazoli's recently. My son gave you a double thumbs up on the uh, on the pizza. So you've got young critics even giving you good reviews these days. So nice. Um, can you talk specifically about food quality? I, I, we've I've had clients who've gone out of business because they they started cutting the food quality when times got tough, and that seems like that's probably the last thing in the world you should do as an as any step in trying to bring the brand up to where you did. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. I mean, that's exactly what was going on at Fazoli's at the time back in 2008, as they were cutting quality. Uh, our our uh, Alfredo sauce was 90% water, 5% dairy, and 5% gastroeconomics to make it taste like uh, Alfredo sauce. So you know, we had to g- go through and make uh, major quality changes. And again, all, we, our product that we sell is food. And if you don't do a great job with your product that you're selling, you'll never have a chance to win. So I've heard you describe how you went on offense when COVID hit. Can you walk us through how those building blocks you just described over the years helped Fazoli's not only survive, 
through COVID, but actually to thrive. So for us, you know, food is one of, you know, the, the paramount pillars of the brand and something that we continue to evolve and upgrade. You know, ironically, even though we don't tell our guests and talk about it, we're working on, you know, we were going to be okay. We then went on the offense. And what I mean by that is really, it's, you know, kind of several pieces. We were on top of the whole COVID uh, situation before some other brands. Uh, We actually were recognized as the um, Sterl Tech 2020 Food Sanitation Award, which goes to the best restaurant chain in the country as it relates to sanitation practices. So we were on top of this right out of the gate. We had ordered masks, ordered uh, sanitation stations, and really wanted to exude COVID. So when the guests or sanitation, so when the guests would visit our restaurants, we were in masks, our employees are in gloves. We had sanitation stations available for our guests. We went to touchless pay. If you paid us with cash, we gave you we give you a transaction wipe, uh, sanitation wipe to wash your hands. And when we opened up the dining rooms, we put a, a table out front uh, with a sanitizer, masks for the guests, sanitizer wipes, four uh, touchless sanitation stations throughout the restaurant, and really just were all over uh, top of COVID. I mean, at, at the top of every hour, our music stops. There's an announcement that says, dear guests, uh, for the next two minutes, our employees are going to stop clean their hands, change their gloves, wipe down and sanitize their station in all, all high-touch areas. We're sorry for any inconvenience this may cause and delay of your service. And that plays in every one of our restaurants today at the top of the ever, every hour. So, you know, I think we're all doing the state mandatory or local mandatory COVID thing. But I think as an organization, that was one of the good things that we did. We went on the offense. We weren't afraid to wear masks and go to gloves right out of the gate. The other piece that uh, we really worked on was convenience, and you know, we we made several changes to our mobile app. Thank God we had one. Uh, we you know, we're, we're just about ready to enter year three of our of our mobile app, and you know we've continued to evolve and upgrade it. And we've added some talent into our IT department. We brought some people in from Outback and Domino's, and really have done a great job. Wayne Peterson and and his team have done a fantastic job upgrading our mobile app. So we went on the offense as it relates to convenience. So we wanted to find every known, knowable way a consumer could order our product and be able to provide it. And then every known, knowable way a consumer can receive our product, and we wanted to provide that. And you know, we we added curbside delivery to our um, mobile app. I mean, we have drive-throughs, so the guests can say, I'm gonna come in and pick it up. I want a curbside, I want to go through the drive-through. Uh, the guests now on their mobile app can order delivery. They can redeem all their points and coupons and everything uh, right on the mobile app as well. So we wanted to make it really easy and convenient for the guests to order uh, our, our products. And we even shifted our service model as more business moved off-premise. We started um, getting ordering tablets and sending people out in our parking lots to start taking orders from the speaker to five cars back. So that really kept the guest in line and moving the line faster. And, you know, we also put a person in the drive-thru handing out breadsticks. And, I, you know, that was, that was not uh, an idea that I originally thought of. It was something that our operators did. And it was a home run. Our guests loved getting breadsticks outside while they were waiting. And, uh, you know, I think the convenience piece was real the key. So COVID convenience. And then finally, you know, extreme value slash family uh, meal uh, experience. So 
the consumer is now sheltered at home. Many people are furloughed, stuck at home that was looking to you know, have something that they could order quickly. It would feed the whole family. There was enough variety for the whole family and it fit in their budget. And that was a game changer for us because we did thousands of orders and now have sold tens of thousands of these. We brought back in laps guests who uh, no longer visited the brand because they remember it as the old Fazoli's. We brought in new guests who have not heard of the brand. And we, we, we picked up traffic from our regular consumers. So yeah, we have thrived. Popeyes, Domino's, and Wingstop really being the, the only groups that uh, you know probably outperform us right now in same store sales and traffic. Carl, you mentioned delivery, uh, and I know delivery these days is really ramping up. Uh, you know, trends showed pre-COVID that millennials were the largest users of delivery uh, before all this hit. Now there's more groups. You know, those who aren't comfortable with coming in to dine for various reasons now being added to that group. You know, what challenges did delivery present? How did you adjust to those? I heard you mentioned the app uh, using technology. And what role do you see delivery going forward for Fazoli's? Yeah, so you know, to take a step back, I mean, we've been moving into a stay-at-home economy for several years, you know, really since the, the development of the smartphone, uh, the success of Amazon and, and online ordering in general. I mean, the consumer is very comfortable going online ordering their products, putting their credit card out on the internet, and having uh, goods and services brought right to their house. So we were already moving in that direction. And like you said, the millennials adapted to that first because they grew up with iPhones and they were on top of that. But even my 70-year-old, 80-year-old mother-in-law is on the internet buying stuff off of Amazon. So you know the whole, the whole world was adapting to the stay-at-home economy. So the role delivery is playing, I mean, it, it probably tripled right out of the gate. So delivery was about 5% of our total sales, went to about 15. And it's settled in right right now around 10%. And it's been pretty steady for the last 12 weeks, you know, 10%. So you can basically say delivery doubled. But I think some of the opportunities for us as a brand, I mean, first was just the, you know, refocus on accuracy because it's a lot harder to recover a consumer when you deliver them the wrong product than it is if they're inside your restaurant. So we really doubled down on accuracy, focused on uh, making sure that our products were 100% in those bags. And then tried to create our own space. We put our own uh, pickup station for delivery drivers and tried to make it as easy as possible for the third-party delivery drivers to use our locations. And yeah, that that's key also. I mean, the, to keeping those delivery drivers happy is, is not a bad thing because a lot of times these delivery drivers that are bringing you your food products are doing it via re- reverse auction. You may be using DoorDash, but DoorDash may be sending it out very similar to Lyft or Uber to a, a vast amount of different drivers. And if you have a bad reputation, you're going to have less people that are likely to uh, want to spend their time coming to pick up the product and delivering it to your consumer. So you really need to execute, make it easy for them. And I think that's something that people really miss is, you know, catering to those delivery drivers uh, will be beneficial for you. Yeah. And it seems like convenience, you know, is becoming more and more of a, of a demand that's, that's coming. I know I have a lot of people I've spoken to that have never had a pickup window before. Maybe they're a fast, casual concept, and now they're going to be trying to fight to get that end cap. Uh, in a in a strip center um, and and just really make it convenient for you know whether it's a, a delivery service or a consumer like myself just to do a pickup out the window versus you know whatever model they're using now so that's that's one thing I've heard them talk about quite a bit 
And I imagine, Carl, your, your food costs, you, you mentioned, you know, offering up some uh, 1999 deals, but I mean, you guys, again, you could give away, I think your website says 100 million breadsticks a year. I know you're giving some out in the line, but, you know, even though those prices have come down, which is going to put a cramp on your margins, you're not giving away as many breadsticks inside the restaurant, the soda refills. So I'm guessing your food cost did drop uh, as you were offering these deals. Would that be an accurate statement? Yeah. So initially right out of the gate, we sold, you know, a couple hundred basis point decline in food costs, mainly because of drink refills and breadstick refills uh, or additional breadsticks. So that was definitely uh, something that we did notice at the beginning. And that actually gave us the leverage to get more aggressive with the, some of the discounts and offers that, uh, that, you know, we had out there because, you know, we were running in the low 20% range and, you know, that we, we don't, that's we don't have to be at that number to make our model work. I mean, it's nice, uh, but you know, let's focus on driving traffic. And so, uh, <clears throat> you know, that actually played a benefit for us. The lower food costs at the, at the beginning. You mentioned your leadership team earlier. Uh, can you talk about you know why it's so important to have that right leadership team? And maybe if there are some operators listening to this podcast who are struggling with not having the right leaders. Maybe just some steps that I know you said you changed your leadership group out. You know, what are those steps to take? How do you identify when maybe you don't have the right leader in your executive leadership team? Sure. Well, first and foremost, I look for people that are smarter than me to add to our leadership team. And I mean that in all sincerity. Um, you know, the, the, the second piece is I really look, look for and hire and recruit for is attitude. You know, is this the person and team member going to be able not only to be a leader, but also come in and can uh, gel with our team and, and work well with me? And, you know, I do a lot of listening and watching of our executive teams during meetings. Um, and, you know, and you, you, can, you can read a lot from body language and, you know, positive mental attitude, you know, hiring the right people, and then really creating a culture of no false agree, uh, agreements. So we have that in our office, and you, if we don't agree with what someone else is saying, we professionally stand up and say, you know what, I, I, I don't agree with that. And that works really well for our senior team because we have no problem giving our point of view. And when somebody who reports to me tells me they don't agree with the direction that I'm going, I don't actually get mad. I actually perk up and really listen because I'm probably making a mistake. So you know, I, I think just you know, hiring smart people with good attitudes that, that you know want to work as a team that, that have the confidence to stand up and speak you know their mind is important. And then finally, for me, it's really all about productivity. You know, I, I tell my team all the time, I don't care where you live. Uh, my, the, our supply chain, Blaine Adams runs our supply chain, lives in Orlando, Florida. Our CFO uh, lives in Atlanta. Jody, our, our chief marketing officer, spends part of her time in Florida, part of her time in Columbus, Ohio. I live in Columbus, Ohio. Our ops guy lives in, in Springfield. Yeah, I'm focused on productivity, not necessarily where you live. And yeah, we've already been used to kind of working at home. So this had less of an effect on us and our ability to work together. We still get together at the office on a regular basis, but, you know, not as much as we used to. But, you know, having a team that can be productive, obviously, is, is important. Every member of your team needs to be providing value. If not, why, why are you paying them in an executive level salary to not provide anything to your business? 
And how about for the the remote work environment for your office personnel? Is that are you guys still outside the office? Are they working in the office? And if they're out of the office, what challenges did that bring uh, for you and your team, your executive leadership team, to work with the rest of your support team? Sure. So our offices uh, in Lexington had three different bays, uh, basically three different buildings that we occupied. We already have reduced down to. If it wasn't from a logistics standpoint, we could probably go down to one. So we're allowing all of our employees to work at home. Our only request is if you have a team meeting uh, or a vendor meeting or some type of meeting that you just work from uh, the office on that day. So, you, you know, typically, you know, once a month, everybody's kind of in the office as, and doing a lot of group meetings. And then, you know, one week of the month, there's a lot of uh, other meetings that are going on and planning sessions. But the majority of the time, you know, those can be done in, in, in two days. So the rest of the time, they're working from home. And I want our employees to be able to uh, feel comfortable working at home. You know, the, the, uh, you, you asked me a question, you know, what challenges? I mean, first, we just had to make sure that everybody was set up and could be proficient working from home and really didn't cost us that much to make that happen. So that was one of the, the first things that we did. But, you know, people have so much going on with their life right now. The last thing I want to do as an employer is create more stress for them. They got their, their kids doing remote learning. You know, they have, you know, a lot of people have to be home. You know, a lot of two family uh, workers and he or she has to go to the office. Well, I'm, I'm providing an environment where you can stay at home as, again, back to productivity as long as you're productive. And, and that's why we've had 0% turnover at our home support office for the last two years. We've been on a four-day work week for the most part, and I shouldn't say that right, but we, we haven't opened our office on Fridays uh, for years. Um, people still come in on Fridays, but it's not required that you're there. So yeah, we were already kind of used to working from home and, and on Fridays anyway. Um, but you know, I, I, I think the toughest part of this whole thing and is really boarding new employees and getting them ingrained in that culture of positive mental attitude, teamwork, productivity, no false agreements, and really you know, ingraining your culture of the organization into a new hire. That's the toughest piece for us right now. Yeah, we're, we're experiencing the same challenges. It's like, how do you hire a remote employee and really have them feel the culture that you've built? And even the ones you've had for a while, how do you continue to build that culture? And every business is going to be different in how they maintain that. But that is a really key piece of, of business success right now for any industry is, is maintaining that culture and teaching that culture to new hires. And so, Carl, last question. You know, you mentioned Lexington. I did want to bring up, I saw the headline, September 1st was declared Fazoli's Day in Lexington by the mayor. So congratulations on a nice honor in the city of Lexington. Um, how important is it to have a strong community behind the restaurant and also the importance of the restaurant, even the locations, engaging within their communities? Well, I think it's extremely important. So uh, first, it was a tremendous honor that September 1st, uh, it was uh, Fazoli's Day in Lexington, uh, not only for this year, but forever moving forward, according to the mayor. So unless a future mayor changes that, September 1st is always Fazoli's Day in Lexington. And you know, that just is um, such a fantastic honor to have bestowed upon our brand. And yet we're deeply involved in the community. We're a give back organization. We work closely with Feed the Children. 
Uh, you know, next month we have a food truck uh, distribution in uh, Dayton, Ohio. I do one every year. That's my hometown. Uh, we have a food um, program going on in Lexington, book bag program going on in Indianapolis, uh, Dayton, Lexington, uh, Evansville, Paducah, you know, where our, where our markets are at. We really try to give back and, and be out and, uh, and be charitable in those markets. And, you know, I, I didn't mention that, but I mean, right at the beginning of COVID, I mean, we were faced with throwing out a lot of product and, you know, we, we gave all that product to the community. So that, that all went to food shelters or first responders. And, you know, I think being involved in your, your community, it takes a while to establish the relationship and get involved, but you got to start one day. Uh, we started with Feed the Children over eight years ago, and you know now it's just part of what we do. You know, working with our local communities to help young people in need. Well, Carl, I want to thank you for joining us today, and hopefully, those of you that are listening could take some of Carl's story and what's happened at Fazoli's back to your own restaurant, or if you're an advisor, uh, to make you a better advisor for the restaurants that you work with. But Carl, thank you so much for being our inaugural guest. It was a pleasure having you with us today. Thanks, Jeff. I really appreciate being on. Thank you for listening to BDO To Go. Past episodes and related insights are available at bdo.com slash bdo to go. Or you can go to iTunes or Spotify to rate, review, share, or subscribe to this podcast. The views expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of BDO. For more information on BDO's restaurant industry practice and the resources we provide, visit www.bdo.com slash restaurants.